Well, good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. How are we this morning? That's decent enough. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, would you stand with me? Let's think of the hope that we have in our Savior. How he's rescued us from sin and death. He's given us new life in him. We can rejoice in what he's done for us. If you're in the foyer, head on in. Let's sing together. I've been held by Savior. I felt fire from above. But I've been down to the river. Oh, I ain't the same. The prodigal's return. Sing it together. So now I'm singing, oh, my hope is in Jesus. Oh 
Fellowship, Sam Hannon here. As we head into the Christmas season, I've been amazed at the generosity that you've displayed at our church. You know, for many of us, we love to give gifts as an expression of our gratitude during the Christmas season. And at Fellowship, we have an opportunity for you through the gift. The gift is an opportunity to express gratitude to the Lord, and the elders will take our offerings and distribute those uh, locally and regionally and globally to do good in his name. Last year, you gave over $660,000 to the gift, and we can't wait to see what the Lord does with it this year. So Mickey, I wanna know, how, how did the gift get started at Fellowship? Yeah, you know, Robert and I recently did a podcast and we were reminiscing about some of that. And it came from a day when we were sitting around the table and we were just talking about what you just mentioned that uh, we give gifts to family, we give gifts to friends, but we had no mechanism in place for us to be able to give to God. And we said, what if we gave people the opportunity to give to God during the Christmas season, and then whatever was given, the elders would make a decision on how those funds were spent. And we've been able to do projects here on our fellowship campus. Uh, we've been able to help people, as you said, locally, regionally, and globally. And it's been a blessing. People have given millions of dollars over the years to the gift, and it's really been a blessing to not only our church, but people around the world. Yeah, what I love about the gift is it takes that generous spirit from the individual level, and it gives us an opportunity to be generous as a church. Well, Fellowship, we'd love to ask you to pray about your participation in the gift this year. And I just wanna thank you for being generous and helping us make a difference in Northwest Arkansas and the world. How are we this morning? Good. I'm Garland. Great to be with you. Um, do consider uh, prayerfully giving uh, to the gift. It, 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 it's been such a blessing to people literally all over the world uh, through the years. So do consider uh, that uh, this Christmas season. Um, a couple of days ago, Friday, uh, I was minding my own business. I was at my house and um, I got a phone call. I was expecting to have a nice leisurely morning this morning. I got a phone call from this guy. This is Ryan Burton. And uh, he called me and said, uh, I'm sick and Dave has strep, and I'm the third place guy you call when nobody else can do it. And he said, okay, uh, what do you think about maybe on Sunday having a lead? And I said, well, I'm also sick, um, so let's see how this goes. Well, yesterday after the uh, Michigan-Ohio State game, I was like, He's, how are you? He said, I'm done. And so I'm in today. You got me today, and I'm running on fumes, and he's gonna sing in a minute, you'll see. Uh, he sounds really good, actually. Wow. So uh, you sound really good. Um, 
But hey, just, uh, just by, by fair warning, it can be re- wheels off when I'm up here anyway, and then when I'm sick, it's even better. So we'll see how it goes today. But uh, we're so glad you're here. A couple of announcements just for you and I as we orient ourselves around the Advent season, okay? Advent literally just means the coming. We're looking in this season, we begin to prepare not only our, our hearts and our minds, we begin to prepare even our homes, we prepare, our, it seems like our culture even sets aside time, and what we want to do, it's part of the ancient Christian calendar, is as followers of Jesus, we want to mark this time not by the commercialism, not by uh, all the things that we have to do, but by what Jesus has done on our behalf. And so we enter into this season, these, this next month, uh, to celebrate the coming of God into our world. And so a couple ways we're gonna do that. We're gonna have Advent services. We're gonna light the candles. Tonight, we have uh, one of our favorite things. Last year was the first time we did it, and it was awesome. We're having an Advent family service right here in this room tonight, and this is where we come together with other churches uh, in the city, and it was a blast last year. And so uh, please come back here tonight at 6 p.m. It's fun to see people from all different churches uh, in this place worshiping together. And since I'm sure some of you type A'ers are already thinking about it, let me give you the Christmas Eve services now, all right, a month in advance. Uh, Here's our Christmas Eve services, 2, 3.30, and 5. And uh, especially if you're a long-termer, maybe consider the 2 or the 5 if you've been kind of with us for years to make room in that middle one. And uh, Christmas morning, we're rolling, like always. 9 and 10.30, Clark's gonna be teaching. We're calling it Christmas with Clark, and I'm trying to get that to stick. He hates it, so please try to get that to stick with me if you can, and those are the Christmas Eve. So we're entering into Advent over this next month, and Burton, y'all did something kind of cool. Walk us through that. Well, um, yeah, we try to bring in uh, a lot of different creative elements during the Advent season, um, and we were looking at different songs. That's one thing that I think we all know that marks this time of year as so we start singing Christmas songs, right? Um, and full transparency here, about five years ago, I was leading worship at a different church, and I was singing the song Away in a Manger, and like halfway through the second verse, I was like, what, am, what are we singing? And it's like a lullaby, and it didn't, it didn't feel like a church setting, like corporate worship song. I love the song, but it didn't feel like this was, that was the right context text for it. And so um, when we were doing some songwriting, and our team does that um, pretty often, um, we started looking at maybe rewriting the song Away in a Manger. And so uh, that's what we've done. So I've written some new verses for it to try to make it more of a a congregational um, worship song. And so it's the same melody. You guys are going to, I think, jump right in. Um, But I think that it reflects um, the fullness of the, the gospel, more of the fullness of the gospel in this song. Um, and to me, what, what the song was saying before that was so beautiful, but wasn't maybe as explicit, is that we've got God incarnate in, this, in the form of a baby sitting in a manger. And the gravity of that is so immense. And so um, tried to articulate that more in the song. And so if you would, let's stand together and we're going to sing some Christmas songs.
Good Morning Fellowship. My name is Colton. This is my wife, Bree, and we have the privilege to uh, light the hope candle this morning. So I'm going to read a verse real quick for us. Comfort, comfort my people, says our God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah 40, 1 through 5. We light this candle as a symbol of the hope we have in the promise of the Lord's coming. For the Lord will fulfill his promise to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. A righteous branch will spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And together we say, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Thank you, Colton and Bree. Hey, let's give it up for them. Yeah. You know, I love that couple right there, and they've actually given me permission to share a little bit of their story with you all this morning. See, uh, a couple years ago, Colton and Bree got plugged in to celebrate recovery here at Fellowship Fayetteville, and at the time, their marriage was actually in a really desperate place. See, it had come out that Colton had been battling a secret pornography addiction, and with that, a a long-standing pattern of hiding and deceit as well, and Bree was obviously hit with the hurt and the betrayal that came with that news, and Colton knew that he needed to either get help or potentially risk losing his wife. And so Colton started coming to celebrate recovery. Here on Friday nights, he shortly after got plugged into a step study group, and, and through that group, he's found freedom from the things that he's been dealing with. And he's been walking in that freedom for the past couple of years now. And what's incredible too is, as Colton found healing, Bree realized that she had some things that she needed to work on as well. And so a couple years later, she's jumped into a step study group as well and, and, and watched God help her to forgive and to let go of some of the hurt and the resentment that she was holding on to, not just in her marriage, but in so many other aspects of her life. And God has worked through that couple here at Fellowship Fayetteville, through counseling, through Celebrate Recovery, to bring their marriage from a place of desperation to thriving in him as they're starting their new family. You know, uh, Colton actually just finished leading a step study with me from being in a desperate place with no hope to pointing other men towards that same hope in Jesus. And Bree actually just came on staff with Celebrate Recovery to help lead our children's ministry this past year. And it's incredible to watch what God is doing. When I asked Colton and Bree, hey, how have you seen the hope of God come alive in your marriage? They told me this. Colton said, I saw God working through Bree to show me his unconditional love and forgiveness while I was still stuck in my sin. I found hope in him, knowing that he really does care for me. He loves me, and he wants me to live eternity in his arms. And Bree said that trusting God's hope helped me to see Colton as Jesus does, 
and to trust that I can take the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, knowing that God uses our struggles in marriage and in all of our life to grow us more into a picture of Christ in the church. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? The hope of God made alive in our lives. And it's the same hope that's held out for you and I, no matter where we're at. Well, hey, y'all. Uh, my name is Andy Petrie, and I have the privilege to be on staff here at Fellowship Fayetteville uh, and get to serve as the ministry leader of our Celebrate Recovery ministry here. And I'm so grateful that our church uh, is, is a place where it's okay to be honest about the struggles that we're dealing with in life. And, and, and it's a place where we can be pointed towards the healing and hope we have in Jesus. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, hope, and how hope fixes us on Jesus so that we can endure this life. And I think a really good place to start this morning when we think about hope is just asking the question, what is hope? Seems like a really simple question, right? I mean, we, we just sang songs about it. We light candles that signify it. We talk about how it drives us in our relationship with Jesus, but what is it? And, and I know for me, and maybe it's just me, when I, when I think about hope, it's not really a definition that comes to mind. It's, it's more of a reminder of the feeling of hope that I get. I'm, I'm reminded of the times when longing and hope has sprung up in me. I, th- I think about waiting to hear from our realtor last year after we put in our fifth offer on our house after searching for a couple months. I, I think about my wife and I driving to the ultrasound to, to find out what the gender of our first child is going to be. I, I think about being eight years old and waiting to see if mom and dad really got me that Nintendo Game Boy Color. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but some of you do, and you know it was awesome. And I also think about swiping my credit card, trying to buy groceries, wondering if it's maxed out. I think about waiting to hear back from the fifth interview when I was unemployed. I think about myself joining a Celebrate Recovery step study in the midst of battling a 13-year pornography addiction or waiting to hear the prognosis from the doctor about my brother's leukemia diagnosis. What do you think about when you think about hope? Hope seems to run in the background of our hearts and our minds. It drives us forward. It anticipates something better than where we are right now. Hope is the expectation of a coming good that we can't yet see. It's the expectation of something better. And whether we realize it or not, hope infiltrates every single moment of our life. There's a pastor, an author named Tim Tim Keller, and he says this. He says, human beings are hope-shaped creatures. How we live today is completely shaped by what we believe about our future. There's not a single one of us who doesn't hope for something better. It's a natural part of how God created us. We can't live and operate without hope. And yet all of us know the pain of us trying to find our hope in things that let us down. And when our longings go unfulfilled. Proverbs 13, 12, it says, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. That a longing that goes on too long, it wears the heart out. And when we live in that place too long, we can find ourselves with the symptoms of a sick heart popping up in our life. We can get cynical and jaded. We can start believing that ourselves or other people can't change, that the the politics, the companies, the organizations around us are always going to let us down. 
We can fall into despair and despondency. We'd be driven by our sorrow or we can hit the emotional eject button and live a life that is resigned to apathy because why would I hope if I know I'm gonna be let down? And so we try our best just not to care because it's better not to care than to have our longings go unmet. And so the question for us this morning is, What does it look like to grow a hope that sustains us? Where do we find a hope that doesn't make our heart sick? This morning, we're gonna look at a story in the book of Luke that points us towards where true hope is found, a hope that isn't rooted in our expectations or our circumstances, but in the most unlikely of places, a six-week-old baby named Jesus the Messiah King, who would come to bring comfort and real hope to our lives today. And so if you wanna turn to Luke chapter two, verses 22 through 40, that's where we're gonna be rooting ourselves today. And our story this morning, it, it opens up just a few weeks after Jesus was born, as Mary and Joseph are, are taking their, their newborn son, who's about six weeks old at this point, to the, the temple in Jerusalem to consecrate him to the Lord. And I wonder what it must have been like for Mary and Joseph at this point in the game. You see, Mary and Joseph, they both had messengers of God that came to them and let them know that that their son would be the savior of the world, that he would be this coming Messiah that the nation of Israel had literally been waiting hundreds of years for, that he'd be the promised one to bring peace on earth and, and to restore the glory of God's people. But six weeks in, I wonder what was going on in their hearts. Sure, they'd seen the shepherds come that night, and they'd heard about the angels that sang. But what now? If you're a parent in the room, you may recall those first couple weeks of having a newborn, or you may not, depending on the amount of sleep that you got. I know for me, my wife and I, we've got a really young family. We've got two kids under two, and they're 15 months apart because we're just not that smart. And... Uh, and I know for me, there's, there's nothing quite like a couple weeks of sleeplessness and crying babies to wonder, all right, God, where is your plan in all of this? And so I wonder what Jesus's parents were thinking as they took their weary bodies and their newborn son and walked miles to the temple in Jerusalem. I wonder what they were expecting to happen. They probably weren't expecting an old man named Simeon who'd been waiting for that same Messiah. You see, earlier in Simeon's life, we're told in the text that the Holy Spirit came to him with a promise, that he would see the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's Christ, before he would die. And so when Mary and Joseph came into the temple, the Spirit came upon Simeon, and he knew exactly who Jesus was. And this godly old man would go up to Jesus' mother and ask to take the child in his arms. And as he stood there, he would stand holding the fulfillment, not only of God's promise to Simeon years ago, but the promise of God to the nation of Israel. And he would give praise to God and prophesy about the life that Jesus would live. And then an old widow named Anna would come up after Simeon and start praising God and telling people about the coming redemption of Israel. Now just put yourself in that moment for a second. Surely that had to be a little bit weird for Mary and Joseph, right? I mean, imagine this situation playing out in the foyer on a Sunday morning. 
that you're walking in with your kid and, and out of nowhere, somebody comes up and asks to take your kid and holding him up in the lion, like in the Lion King, he's teary-eyed, singing to God about how great your kid is. And then somebody else comes up and starts telling everybody, hey, look how wonderful this kid is. The redemption, God's promises are coming through them. Be a little weird, right? Some of us might be thinking about finding a different church, right? <laughs> but Simeon and Anna, they weren't crazy. They actually saw who Jesus really was. They knew the promise and the hope of God in him, and it's in this story and in this strange interaction that we learn what defines our hope in Jesus and why he's the only solid place to root our lives. We see how in our need, he's enough. In our, in our pain, he's our comfort. And in our brokenness, he's our redemption. As the story starts in verse 22, we're, we're told that Mary and Joseph are, are bringing Jesus to the temple to be consecrated to the Lord. And if you want an idea of what's going on here with, within this idea of them obeying the law, take a look at Leviticus 12. It explains it there. And, and I'll admit, when I first looked at, at this part, there was a part of me that just kind of wanted to skim it over because it's a little bit strange to me. I don't, I don't really have a, a, a box in my way of thinking for sacrificing a pair of pigeons. You might, I don't. And, and so it, it could be easy to chalk this up to just some Old Testament reference that doesn't really matter. But when we really see what's going on here, what we see is that it's actually an incredible representation of what Jesus would continually do throughout his life, how he would perfectly fulfill the law of God. You see, here in this passage, we see a beautiful overlap of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and a reminder that the story of the Bible is one cohesive, complete story of the way that God is chasing after his people to restore them back to himself. God had given Israel the law so that they could have a right way to relate with him, so that they could draw near to him and live in relationship with him. The law was actually designed for the good of God's people. There wasn't a problem with the law, but there was a problem with the people. You see, it's the same problem that we have today in our attempts to live up to God's standards, to fulfill the law in, in, in our own strength and in our own flesh, we never measure up. That's because we're broken people, every one of us, with broken hearts, broken motives, who struggle with sin. And God gave us the law so we could live in relationship with him, but we see again and again across the story of the Bible how in our brokenness and inability to keep the law, we run to things other than God to try and fill us. We run to security, we run to other people, we run to our own religious efforts and accomplishments, whatever it is, but it's never enough. And why? Because hope is always short-lived when it's found in something temporary. And I wonder this morning, if we could ask ourselves, what are those temporary things for us? What are those things that we find ourselves attaching our hope to today? I know for me, for so much of my life, it's been trying to attach myself to my own performance. In my relationship with God, it was this idea that if I could just behave the right way, if I could check the right religious boxes, then that would make me acceptable. That would make me good in God's eyes and we'd be okay. And then when it came to relationships with people, I believed that if I did enough, if I made the grade, if I made the salary, if I win the awards, if I accumulate the right stuff, then all of that would be enough for me on the resume of my life to say that I'm significant enough to be recognized. 
And I'll tell you, after years of living in those cycles, and even times still now today when I can find myself falling back into that, it's never enough, is it? See, there's never enough money. There's never enough status. There's never high enough on the ladder to climb. There's never so clean that we can make ourselves that will be enough to sustain us, and it's never enough to make us right in God. But God knew that. He knew that then, he knows that now, and that's why he sent Jesus. See, Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf because in our flesh, we're too weak. In our own way of thinking and doing things, we can't do it, so God did it for us. Romans 8 It says, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of that sinful flesh to be an offering for us in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us so that we don't have to live according to being chained to our flesh, but we can live in the spirit of his peace and freedom. See, in Jesus, we find fulfillment of the law on our behalf. We no longer have to be a slave to our own efforts. What we couldn't do on our own, God did in this six-week-old baby as he would grow up and live a life we couldn't so that we could find all we've been searching for in him. In our need, he's enough. We also see that in our pain, we get comfort. The first time we see Simeon in the text, that's in verse 25, and we're told that he is waiting for something called the consolation of Israel. And that word translated consolation, it brings with it this idea of comfort and, 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 and this idea that Simeon and the whole nation of Israel were waiting for someone to come and console Israel. And, and this was actually a title that some of the rabbis at the time used to talk about the Messiah that was coming. It's from Isaiah Chapter 40, verses one and two, Colton and Bree just read it. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. See, for hundreds of years, Israel had been enduring a time of alienation and suffering and have been exiled and oppressed by foreign nations. But in the midst of their pain and suffering, God gave them a promise. He'd send someone to comfort and redeem them. That's who Simeon was waiting for. And Jesus In Jesus, Simeon would come face to face for that promised comfort of Israel and for the whole world. And by the way, it wouldn't be an empty comfort that falls flat in the face of pain, but it would be a comfort that endures and exists in the tension of this broken world. And we see that in the way that Simeon, as as he is moved by the Holy Spirit, as he describes the comfort of God through Jesus. Starting in verse 28, Simeon looks at Jesus' mother, Mary, and he speaks two messages to her. One is a message of hope, and the other is a message of the gritty reality that would be Jesus' life. You see, through Jesus, salvation would come, not just to Israel, but to the Gentiles too. He'd be a light in the darkness and glory for a people that were suffering and oppressed, but that hope would come in a way that wouldn't be expected. You see, this tiny child would also be the most divisive person in the history of Israel in the history of the world. Because of him, many would rise. They'd recognize and they'd worship him as the Messiah and the King. But also many would fall. He'd expose the hypocrisy of the religious rulers of the day and call them out for the way that they place their own power and position and privilege above everything else. And he says, Mary, your soul will be pierced as well. 
knowing that she'd be the only person that would witness the birth and the death of Jesus. That this infant would grow up to give us hope in his perfect life, and in doing so, it would lead him to being slandered, betrayed, falsely charged, and executed on a cross. And Mary stands there with that painful reality contrasted with one of the most beautiful truths ever spoken, that God's plan for the redemption of the world is here. And we're told that all of this would happen so that the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. You see, when we allow ourselves to get close to Jesus, it reveals what's in our hearts. And that might be a scary thought for many of us here in this room, right? Many of us have walked in here today with some sort of baggage or pain. Some of us are just really thankful that we survived Thanksgiving with our family, am I right? And some of us are struggling with the grief that comes with not having someone we love this Thanksgiving, or dealing with infertility in a season where we talk primarily about the birth of a child, or maybe it's financial stress, job loss, hidden addictions, family dysfunction, whatever it is, the message of Christ is that we don't have to walk through it alone, and that God actually wants to use our pain, and I know that because I've seen him do it in my life, as as I've watched him use my pain to grow me closer to him, as he's redeemed the the years that I spent in cycles of alcohol abuse, pornography addiction, broken relationships with my family and others. I'm even watching him use the pain now as I'm wrestling with some really hard health diagnoses that are going on in my family. And also the anxiety that comes from being the only one of my brothers to make it to 30 without a cancer diagnosis. You see, Jesus tells us that pain isn't something that needs to cause us to run to things in this world to make us feel better. But rather, he says that pain is actually one of the strongest pathways to God's comfort. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, as he would later say in the book of Matthew. And the comfort that comes from Jesus, it isn't a weak comfort derived from our circumstances, but it's the comfort that comes from the presence of a person. We're gonna be reminded more than once in the coming weeks that another name for Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, the the hope and the promise of Jesus is not that things are gonna be easy, not that there's not gonna be pain in this life, but in and through it all, he promises to go with us. And because he's with us, we can endure the pain as we bring it to him. And Jesus himself would tell us that many times over the course of his life. Like in John 16, where he tells us in this world, we will have pain and hardship, but take heart, have courage, be comforted. I have overcome the world. He invites us time after time to come to him with our burdens like he does in Matthew 11, saying, come to me, all of your worries, all of your pain, all of your fears and failures so that he can give you and I rest. Yes, there's gonna be pain in this world. But true comfort is found in this child that's held in Simeon's arms. In our need, he's enough. In our pain, he's our comfort. In our brokenness, he's also our redemption. You know, one thing we may not immediately see when we read this story is the immensity of the words that Simeon speaks here. You see, he prophetically praises God after years of waiting for the consolation of Israel, and his eyes finally see the salvation of the Lord. 
And this little child would not just be salvation and comfort for Israel, but also a light to the Gentiles as well. And this would have been absolutely wild for a first century Jew to hear. They were waiting for the consolation of Israel. And yet in this prophetic blessing, Simeon goes on to say that salvation and the redemption of the Messiah is for all mankind. That's good news for us here in 2022 in Northwest Arkansas because it means that God's salvation is for all people. He's a light to the darkness in all of the world. The salvation of the Messiah was to begin with Israel, but it was always to extend beyond Israel. So what does that mean for us? It means that in Jesus, God entered into the human existence so that we could find ultimate hope in him. Ultimate hope for forgiveness from the sin and the shame that we carry, uh, the way that he can redeem us back from our brokenness and that we can find a life of freedom and hope and peace in him. You see, the coming of Jesus means that we no longer have to be who we've been. Jesus would grow up He would go to the cross, he'd conquer the grave as he rose again, and in doing so, he'd make a way for you and I to find a new identity, forgiveness and hope in him. See, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance to the riches of God's grace. In him, we have forgiveness because Emmanuel has come here to be with us, to take on our burdens and our shame and to give us a new way of living to step into You see, this infant that was held in the arms of Simeon and praised on the lips of Anna would hold out the hope of the gospel that God saves broken people through Jesus. And you know, as I've gotten familiar with this story in in Luke over the past couple weeks, I've come to really admire Simeon and Anna and, and the way that they show lives that reflect the hope of God. You see, it's one thing to know about the hope of God. It's another thing to live that hope out. But when we look at Simeon and Anna, we see lives that are fixed on God and the fruit of a hope-driven life, what it looks like to cling to his promises. We don't know much about Simeon and Anna. In fact, this section is Luke. is the only time where they're mentioned. But it's obvious from Luke's description that they lived a life marked by wholehearted devotion to God with a long-suffering endurance as they clung to the promises of God. Simeon is described as a righteous and a devout man, someone who knew God, who loved God, and earnestly sought to live for him. Anna is described as someone who never left the temple, who lived a life of fasting and prayer and worship. See, there was something in Simeon and Anna that was convinced that giving all of their lives to God was something that was completely worth doing. And when I say all of their lives, I really do mean all of their lives. We're told in the text that Anna was 84 years old. And while we're not really sure how old Simeon is, when he holds baby Jesus and praises him, he essentially says, thank you, God, I can die now. Uh, (laughs) You see, he's somebody that has been waiting decades for this coming Messiah. And, And no doubt it was a long journey, and it definitely wasn't an easy one. You see, Anna, we're told, was widowed after being married over only seven years. And so it's most likely that she spent her life from probably her early 20s to her mid-80s with no husband as a widow in a culture that was not super kind to widows. Yet she held on and she worshiped. Why? What compelled these two followers of Yahweh to keep drawing near to him? It was the promises of a faithful God. 
the promise that God hasn't forgotten his people, that he was coming to bring a light in their darkness and comfort in the suffering. You see, Simeon and Anna held on to the expectant hope of waiting for God. In fact, the word translated waiting for in verse 25 and talking about Simeon and and the word translated looking for in verse 38 in reference to Anna, they're actually the same word in the Greek. And both translations are right because to cling to hope means to look and to wait with the expectation that a coming good is on its way. The key to ask is where are we looking for that hope? Simeon's life, their endurance and devotion was actually a fruit of learning how to look, focus, and refocus on the promises of the God of all hope. Because real hope fixes us on Jesus so that we can joyfully endure whatever comes our way. See, on that day in the temple, that little baby that Joseph and Mary walked in with, in him, Simeon and Anna saw the fulfillment of the hope of God. And it's the same hope that is held out to you and I today. See, the hope of the advent of Christ is that we don't have to root our our hope in the circumstances of this world or in our own strength or expectations. We don't have to live with hearts that are resigned to apathy and, and cynicism and despair, but we have a savior. We have a comfort in the pain. We have healing for our sin. He's enough to sustain us. He's enough to carry us forward so that we can joyfully endure whatever's going on in our lives today. Because we also know that there's a second advent of Christ that's coming, a day where he's gonna come back to take away the pain in this world, to wipe away every tear, to restore this world to himself. And that's the day that you and I eagerly wait and look for, the hope of the world in this tiny child. You know, I I grew up in a lot of very traditional churches. Uh, and I actually never heard anything sung in churches besides old hymns until I was about 16 or 17 years old. And I, I, I never really caught on to the deep meaning of all of those hymns, probably because if I'm being honest, I probably wasn't paying that much attention whenever I was a teenager. But one that's been on my heart recently is the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Honestly, I thought it was weird as a kid that we sang a hymn about a town in church. But I didn't realize what the words of that hymn were really saying. It says, a little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light, the hopes and the fears of all of the years are met in thee tonight. You see, the God of the universe, he took on flesh in a small, sleepy town, not with all the pomp and circumstance that we would have expected with the coming of a king, but in the form of a vulnerable newborn, laid in a manger and born in a stable. And in that moment, all of our hopes, all of our longings, all the anticipation for something greater coming, all of the promises of God are met in him. You see, the object of our hope has come, and he's coming again. And if you've never accepted that hope for yourself, if you've never prayed to receive Jesus or believe the hope that we have in him, 
you can do that today. Come talk to me after the service or any one of our staff or simply pray right now in your hearts to Jesus that you want the salvation that he freely offers us. And if you're in a season where you're having trouble connecting to that hope, maybe you're feeling alone in your pain, we want you to know that we're here for you. You don't have to act like everything's okay. We know that there's a lot of baggage that comes into this room every single week. And if you're looking to grow your capacity to hope, one of the greatest ways that we can do it is to get around people that point us towards the faithful promises of the faithful God to meet us in our mess. And that's one of the reasons why we have Celebrate Recovery here at Fellowship Fayetteville, so that we can be a church that points us all together collectively towards the hope and the healing and the purpose that's found in Jesus. And I wanna encourage you, if you've never been to Celebrate Recovery, come visit especially if this time of year is hard for you and you're wrestling with the pain of this season. You're not alone in that. We meet every single Friday night over in the Student Center. We'd love to see you there and for this church to be a safe place for you during this time. And so as we close, as we head into our time of worship here, I want us to take a moment to reflect on the hope that we have. Whatever you've brought in here with you today, whatever burdens, whatever pain, whatever struggles, whatever's heavy on your heart. As we come before God in worship and song, bring those things to Jesus. Allow these lyrics to focus your heart on the promises of who God is and to fix our eyes on the hope we have in him. So let's stand together. Let's worship him.
So Jesus, you are our king. We give the glory, the honor, and the praise as our king. We can find that our deepest longings are met in you as our savior and as our Lord. As we go out today and into the rest of this week, we fix our eyes on you. We love you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name as our king. Amen. Fellowship Fayetteville, we love you. If you need prayer, right through those doors, we'd love to pray with you or celebrate with you. Have a wonderful week of worship. See you next week.